I could not escape in the last five weeks that this is a dying season at Bethlehem. And uh, I want to talk about death and the ministry. So when you look back on your graduation, oh yes, that was the death message, all right? That was the death message. Because um, you will never be far from it, and it will never be far from you. Terry's twin brother, 63 years old, April 19. Brad Arthur's mother-in-law, Mariana Bachmeyer, 85, 87. Sybil Sprinkle, 94, member since 1947, May 12th. Marge Johnson, 94 years old, member since 1940. Elias Paul, 21 weeks. Maria Sue Chapman, 5 years old. 78,000 in Myanmar, plus. 51,000 in Sichuan, China. 29,000 still missing. A man in our 11 o'clock service this morning's wife is living in a tent in Sichuan. 73,000 homes were destroyed yesterday in a 6.0 aftershock. When, when these seasons come, and they seem to come kind of periodically in life, things cluster. You feel that. Um, they just cause me to reflect upon what's here all the time. 300 people die every week in the Twin Cities. 46,000 people die every week in the United States. So every two weeks you get a Myanmar here. Every two weeks. 2.4 million people die every year in the United States. You men are preparing to minister in this world. It will not change till Jesus comes. This will be the way it is. 50 years from now, if you're still ministering, you will stand at a little place like this, you'll talk to some young men, and this will have happened the week before. So my exhortation to you, it's very simple, and I want to say a few things about it, is deal with death. Deal with it. And deal with it a lot. Deal with it often. Don't just deal with it when you have to deal with it. Deal with it when you don't have to deal with it. Because then you'll help people be ready to deal with it when it comes. Deal with death, deal with it often, deal with it over and over. Never get far from it for these two reasons. Number one, it will never be far from you. It will always be in your relationships. It will always be in the news. It will always be on those two pages called obituaries, if they still have newspapers when you're older in ministering, or they'll create obituaries on the web, which they already have for nursing homes. And it is always crouching at your own door. If you feel a little thinking, you wonder, ooh, 
It's always just a heartbeat away from everybody in this room. So that's the first reason. Don't be far from it as a topic, an issue, because it's never far from you. And the second reason is, and this is the most important one, you have spectacularly good news about death. Nobody else does. Nobody. Muslims do not have good news about death. They're crossing their fingers. Hindus don't have good news. Maybe you'll come back as a cat. Jews don't have good news. It's a conflicted message in the Jewish church, the Jewish synagogue about death. Atheists don't have good news about death. The world wants to run away from this because nobody's got any good news except you. And you have phenomenally good news about people who are facing death. The majesty and glory of Jesus Christ are the centerpiece of your ministry. This is where you want to be. The majesty and the glory of Jesus Christ will be the centerpiece of your ministry from now until you see him face to face. The apex of his ministry and of his life was that he died. He died. That was the apex of his achievement. The resurrection, absolutely essential, absolutely glorious, and confirmatory of the apex of what he achieved in dying. The gospel begins with two words in 1 Corinthians 15. Remember how it goes? I told you as of first importance what I said before that. And then the first word is Jesus in the gospel. And the second word is died. Christ died. So the reason that you should talk about it a lot is because it's the second word of the gospel after Christ. Christ died. Right at the center of our religion, our faith is died. Christ died. And so you can't go far away from it. The second word of the gospel is died. Why did it have to be the second word of the gospel? Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. That's why. Everybody will die. There's nobody for whom this message is irrelevant. It's not like there's a little pocket of people who have to deal with death. Talk to them about death and don't talk to others about that because they don't have to deal with it. Everybody you will ever minister to will die unless Jesus comes back. And they don't want to think about it. Your job is to get them to think about it because in the dark hours of the night, they do think about it. When they're forced to think about it, they think about it. And when all is said and done, all the hip preachers who may not talk about it will not be the ones to whom they gravitate when they think about it. They're going to think, who has talked about this? 
who has said something massive about this? Who has said anything deep or abiding or helpful about this? Where can I go to hear a word about what I'm facing that won't be full of jokes? And they might come to you. If you have dealt with it, and dealt with it often, and dealt with it deeply, and dealt with it hopefully. So, death belongs to everybody, and therefore it is relevant to everybody. The great central truth of the gospel is that God sent his son into the world to die and rise again to overcome the problem of death. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ who gives us the victory. That's the climax of 1 Corinthians 15. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ who dealt with the law. If the law gives power to the sting of death, and, and you've got to have a, a law handler to free us from the sting of death. And he handled it well. And in him we have fulfilled the law. It will not increase the sting of our death. The way he did it was by becoming a substitution. It's really sad in our day. I hope you men are all alert and your antennas are up and you're not going to be swept away. It's really sad in our day that at the very heart of the evangelical church, the most precious truths are being undone. And it doesn't result always in church discipline. He died for us so that whether we wake or sleep, we might live with Him. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Christ died for the ungodly while we were yet sinners. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Death is the second word of the gospel. Died is the second word of the gospel because either we die forever or he dies for us. Those are the only two options. Don't ever get far from the substitutionary, glorious, all-important work of Christ on the cross. He stood in our, the Puritans would say, our room. He stood in our place and took death on himself and defeated it so that we don't have to endure it as condemnation. So what did he do to it? What did he do to death? And that's what I want to do as I, I wrap this up and give you eight statements, just statements. What did Christ in dying for us do to death? He changed it. We do die. We will die. But he changed it. And here are eight ways that he changed it. Number one, he changed death from an experience of grieving without hope to grieving 
with hope. I put that first, not because it's the most important, because it's emotionally the most immediately relevant. Because the others might, if you're careless, make you cavalier about the pain. And you shouldn't be cavalier about the pain. I had a man come up to me, never met him before. He had his wife sitting in the second pew, and he had looked to me like five kids. He looked to be Hispanic, had no accent. Took me by the hand, tears running down his face. He said, we're new. Um, we came here to take our little Angelica to the hospital with major heart problems. And this, this woman looked totally beleaguered and, and sad, and he was sad. And, and he said, we're just trying to figure out how count-it-all joy works here. Here meaning in this situation. And the first thing I said to him, after he stopped and he paused, I said, let me just tell you what it doesn't mean first. It doesn't mean no tears. Let's just get that settled quick. <laughs> Count it all joy when you meet various trials doesn't mean no tears. Get that settled. And now we can talk about profound, unshakable roots and rock that will never change as you stand on this. And joy can be down there. And if I'd had time, I'd give him some concrete experiences from my own life. The one that's the most uh, experientially uh, relevant to me is my mother's death still after how many years? 1974, 34 years. Because when, when I got the news at age 28, which is what some of you are, I hung up the telephone, told Noel what had happened, wasn't crying yet, pulled a little Karsten off of my leg, who was saying, Daddy's sad, and walked back, knelt down at my bed, and probably cried for two hours. And as that was happening, I was watching myself cry. I mean, after a while, you just this is just happening to me. I'm not working at this. And you're, you're looking at yourself and you're thinking, she was a really good mom. And daddy's still alive, I hope. He's in the hospital, but he was in a bus accident. And I found myself doing what I had preached or taught at that point one can do, namely, grieve your eyes out and feel something like joy. <clears throat> something like joy. Because of other things that were all around and in this moment. Number one, he changed death from the experience of grieving without hope to grieving with hope. The text is First Thessalonians 4.13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. Number two, he changed death from the beginning of perdition to the beginning of paradise. The rich man also died. Remember that story? And was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and, and asked for just a cup of, a, a drop of water for his tongue. 
So death meant the beginning of Hades for this rich man in Luke 16. But the thief on the cross heard the words, Today you will be with me in paradise. Those are two very different experiences of death. The beginning of hell and the beginning of paradise. And Jesus came to turn death from the beginning of hell to the beginning of paradise. Number three, he changed death from the dreaded punishment to the hope-filled purifier. 2 Corinthians 1.8 We do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. That was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. God brings his servants eyeball to eyeball with death. Not to instill fear, but to awaken confidence in God alone and nothing else. Who raises the dead. So death is designed now for believers as a faith producer, not a punishment. Number four, he changed death from the loss of God's presence to the gain of his glory. 2 Thessalonians 1.7 the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. What will happen either at the Lord's coming or at death is separation from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might or a great marveling at his glory. He changed death from being separation from glory to gain of glory. Number five, he changed death from a hopeless curse to a happy homecoming. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Galatians 3.13 We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Home. Home. We should cultivate a sense of exile here, we're not at home. We shouldn't let ourselves feel too much at home here. We should always be thinking in ways that would make it easier to go away than to stay. We shouldn't cultivate thoughts and ideas that make this world feel like home the way it is now. Christ should feel like our home so that when we're called to go and we have five minutes to think about it, say lying on the side of a road or with some needle stuck into us, and we have five minutes to contemplate 
we have prepared ourselves. You mean I get to go home? I've been away all this time and I'm going to get to go home? It'd be hard for the others, but not for me, I hope. If I have cultivated my heart well. From hopeless curse to happy homecoming. Number six, he changed death from um, entrance into eternal fire to entrance into eternal fellowship with God. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into eternal fire. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous to the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, fire or fellowship with God. Number seven, he changed death from the sealing of wrath to eternal life. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, and whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And finally, number eight, he changed death from final rebellion to an act of worship. I have two pictures in my mind of the way two people died in the New Testament. Herod and Peter. Here's the way Herod died. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. And, and he received that blasphemous praise. He received it. And immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. For Herod, death was a final act of rebellion. Peter. The Lord said to Peter, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you are old, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. Stretch out your hands. Peter, by tradition, was crucified upside down. You will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said, this is John now commenting on the words of Jesus, this he said to show by what kind of death he would glorify God. So for Herod, death, the last act of rebellion, and for Peter, death, the last act of worship. He glorified God by his death. So I close with just the same exhortation. Deal with death, brothers. Deal with it often. Never be far from it because it is never far from you. I came that they might have life and that they might have it abundantly. Say that in the face of death. Don't say it naively, only when life is nice. Say it in the face of death. William McKenzie is the president of Christian Focus, and he sent me an email this week, just about a five-line email. He said, I stumbled across a quote, I thought you might like it, from Hugh Martin. It goes like this. 
The gospel, sir, is that you have no right to go to hell. If you do so, you go there trampling upon the Son of God. That's very good. If you or anybody you talk to goes to hell, they go there trampling upon the blood of Jesus, which was shed to deliver them from hell. You have no right to spurn him. Don't add that rebellion to all of your other rebellions. Speak of the glorious gospel of the Son of God crucified for you. We have the best news in all the world. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory over the sting and over the power, over sin and over law. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. Therefore, brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Father, I pray for these graduates and for those that are still studying here that they will deal with death and deal with it often. They would be unafraid to deal with it, that it would be their portion to deal with it. I pray that they would be like Francis Chan, who in his new book, Crazy Love, was asked, what makes you so passionate for the gospel? Said, I do about a funeral a week. Father, grant that these men would be ready to face their own death, to face the death of their children, the death of their parents who they love and are glad to have here, and the death of people in their church, and the death of hundreds of thousands around the world. Make them ready. Take them down deep into the glorious gospel that begins, Christ died that we might live. In his name we pray. Amen.